Thanks for tuning in to NL Newsday. It's uh, Wednesday. Here's September the 8th. Now, usually Kyla Lee joins me on Mondays, but Monday was a holiday and yesterday was a shortened show. So happy to welcome her to the program here on a Wednesday. It's Acumen Law's Kyla Lee. Kyla, how are you here today? I'm great, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Well, I appreciate your time and your flexibility here. So I wanted to start with the BC vaccine card. Uh, you know, we talked a bunch about it last week, but of course we got a lot more detail yesterday about yesterday about how it is going to actually roll out and what it is going to look like. The first thing I, I, I guess I wanted to touch on was just the issue of enforcement. We had a pretty good conversation about this last week, but... I still didn't really get any answers yesterday what, during the, the news conference from the Premier, from Dr. Bonnie Henry, from Adrian Dix about how enforcement is actually going to work in some of the settings such as, say, restaurants. That's the one I always kind of use as my example. Is to how, you know, if there are concerns about people trying to enter facilities, if they're not vaccinated or unwilling to show their vaccine certificate, how is this going to be enforced? Because I just don't see this as being an issue cops are going to want to deal with. And hopefully there are other measures, whether it's environmental service officers or bylaw officers that can help in, in enforcing this thing. But I'm still not convinced that's a very effective way to go about this. I, too, remain unconvinced that this is an effective way to go about it, um, especially because you have uh, bylaw officers, um, if there's an incident or some enforcement is required, they're going to have to be called out. They're going to be asked to go to multiple places. As soon as you open it up to every potential establishment having to verify somebody's vaccination status and then require enforcement on all of those places, the feasibility of doing that is just not there. It's not like um, the enforcement of other rules where... It was much more easy to uh, have a bylaw officer come and do a spot check to see if people are wearing masks when they're indoors, um, to actually have an officer spend the time to check somebody's vaccination status, check the QR code, to go through all of the steps of verifying the identity of the person, um, and to respond, of course, if there's any type of urgent incident like violence or threats of violence. It's a huge toll on the system that I don't think the government has really accounted for. Yeah, I mean, I think the easy part of enforcement is is to have someone go around and just make sure, you know, they're participating in the program and actually checking vaccine status. That part seems simple enough. You can kind of just do a, a drop in a cold call, if you will, and see if they're actually following those rules. But when it comes to individual customers, that's where things start to get a little murky, eh? And it's unclear to me what the consequences are going to be for people who uh, go into places without being vaccinated, who either use somebody else's vaccine card, you know, in the same way that you might use your friend's ID to buy some liquor when you're mm -hmm. underage. Mm -hmm. um, you know, what are the consequences going to be? Is the consequence going to be to the establishment like it is under, under liquor laws? Or is the consequence going to be to the individual? Um, or is it going to be split between the two of them? You know, we need to know more about the consequences and how they're going to be enforced because that's how we're going to ensure compliance with the rule. Yeah, and, and I know if you're over the age of 18, you're going to be checked for ID to verify that yes, the vaccine status card that you presented does indeed belong to you, but those QR codes are pretty easy to share, aren't they? They are, and a lot of people have been posting them on social media unaltered. Um, some people have been, like me, have posted them uh, altered. Um, but it is very easy to share a QR code, especially because you can take a screenshot of it. You can text it to your friends. Um, you can pass that information around, and, and multiple people can be using the same QR code. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one, and I'm, I'm hoping to get in touch with some privacy officials about how to, you know, go about doing things, making sure those are being done according to plan, but uh, I still have a lot of questions about that. Um, and the other issue I did want to get into just briefly is about access here, because, 
you know, whenever we're talking about using technology, there's always some that are kind of left behind, uh, you know, whether it be the elderly. And yes, there are some options to do things by the phone. Hopefully you have a family member who can help you through the process. But what about those who are, you know, don't have access to a computer or a phone at all? Yeah, there's going to be a paper copy, but like someone, for example, who who is homeless, you know, they have the opportunity to get vaccinated. I'm sure many of them have, but being able to get a vaccine card and carry it around, I mean, there's definitely some challenges to access here. There are major challenges to access for people facing homelessness. If you don't have the ability to use a phone or to use an internet uh, to access the QR code in the first place, you don't have the ability to get it printed out. Um, And even the challenge of getting it printed, if you were to go to a library and have it printed there, there are costs associated with with printing documents at the library, uh, which then cut into a very limited income that these people may have. um, And it may not be something that they're capable of affording. Um, At the same time, people who are facing homelessness often also face struggles retaining their belongings. You see, you know, we sort of think of the classic examples of people pushing around carts of their belongings, but there's Mm -hmm. a lot of uh, items that can go missing when you're living in that type of lifestyle. And a vaccine QR code is the type of thing that is easy to be misplaced and also potentially valuable to somebody else if they're taking it because it allows them to access services that they wouldn't be able to access otherwise without it yeah and then of course having to not only have that qr code but a piece of identification and we know that's a struggling issue for for those individuals as well i wanted to shift oh oh. sorry go ahead I was going to say, it's also a big issue for people who are members of the trans community, where your government identification may not match the information that's on your QR code, uh, where you may not appear to match the photo or the gender listed on your identification. Um, That can present access hurdles to individuals who may have to present a piece of ID that doesn't look like them at all, doesn't represent who they are at all, and then try to justify why they are the person that they say they are. Hmm, That's interesting. I never even thought of that, but that, that totally makes sense for sure. I appreciate you bringing that forward. Um, Anything else to add then there before, since I did cut you off because I I did want to switch gears here. All right. Um, Okay, moving on. The uh, province of BC, from what I understand, I was reading this Toronto Star article last night, um, and it was talking about how the province of British Columbia has invited citizens to have their say on the future of civil jury trials and will consider abolishment as one of three options in their consultation process. The announcement apparently made on August the 19th, with feedback being taken until the end of September, the end of this month. Uh, First question, before we get into sort of the, the actual issue at play here, but... I, I hadn't heard of this. Is this something that, you know, you were aware of? I assume you were. Is this something that you think the public are well aware of? Because if they're looking for feedback and no one knows to give it, that, that causes its own set of uh, challenges here. The public is definitely not well aware of this. I think the idea of jury trials, for most people who are not lawyers conducting jury trials, uh, kind of is at the back of people's minds at the best of times. And in the pandemic, everybody just seems to accept jury trials. Well, obviously, that wouldn't be happening right now. That's not necessarily the case. There are some jury trials uh, taking place in uh, in British Columbia and across Canada. Um, but the idea of eliminating civil jury trials has actually been around since before the pandemic. Um, when the 
major changes were being made to ICBC legislation, the government started floating ideas about ways to reform the court system, including reforming the issue of using civil jury trials in personal injury cases. Um, there's benefits uh, from the government's perspective to this, uh, which include, of course, decreasing the cost associated with the system because jurors are required to be paid. There are jury fees that have to be paid by the parties. Um, and, uh, of course, it takes more time to impanel a jury than it does to just assign a judge and mm-hmm. have the case heard. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the one argument I did see kind of discussed in this was uh, potentially speeding up the court process, but most of the quotes I saw kind of countered that, saying it doesn't really speed anything up. Well, it doesn't really, because you still have to have uh, your trial scheduled at the whims of a judge. And to get people on a jury is a lot easier to, than to get a judge. Um, you know, judges have the capacity to only hear a certain number of cases. They can only have a certain number of cases on reserve. They only sit a certain number of days of the year. Whereas if you have a jury, not only do you have the entire eligible population to choose from, and people could be summoned and forced to serve, essentially, on jury duty, um, but you also have alternates. So if something happens to the juror in, a juror in the middle of a trial, an alternate can be subbed in without compromising the trial. If something happens to the judge in the middle of the trial, the trial is either adjourned until it can be resolved or it has to be declared a mistrial and start all over again. Uh, one, There was two or three different lawyers that were quoted in this piece. I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, they, they one of the things they talked about was the tradition that comes with this. And okay, I, fair enough, I can understand the tradition, but from, from an actual... Uh, perspective of having a, a jury of your peers being able to determine the outcome of of the penalties you're facing. I think that's a really important part of our judicial system is to have that, you know, sort of peer-to-peer um, um, enforcement, if you will, of, of the actions that you have done. I mean, you know, judges are great it's it's but there there are people in particular powers they're generally you know they have a lot of money i mean there's just seems to be a maybe a potential skewing of of always going the same route when it comes to a trial by judge I mean, I don't think that that's the case. I think judges try to consider all of the evidence and render a fair verdict. But there is a real difference between having a judge, you know, somebody who in in B.C. Supreme Court judge is going to be paid over $300,000 a year, um, decide how an issue affects a person who doesn't have that same type of life. You know, Mm -hmm. judges have a a high level of education. Um, They see only certain sort of types of society. And because of their role as judges, they can't participate in many activities um, and be outspoken in society as other people might um, might do. And so they don't have the same perspective and you lose perspective over time when you're sitting on the bench about what it is to be sort of a regular person mm-hmm. struggling paycheck to paycheck every day. Um, and so, you know, that's where I think juries are particularly valuable. You get a, a group of people who are more likely to understand the personal circumstances that you are facing and rather than perhaps measure it dispassionately, measure it's fairly bringing their own perspective to the analysis of the evidence that's before them. Yes, that's basically the point I was trying to say. You just worded it much, much better than I did. Um, <laughs> I think I think that's pretty much all on this. I guess just for anyone listening again, remember the end of the month, September 30th, is when feedback's being taken by the province on this issue. Uh, anything else to add here while I have you on the line, Kyla? No, I think that sums it up. Awesome. Well, as always, I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for uh, joining me here on a Wednesday instead of a Monday, and uh, we'll hopefully have a chance to catch up next week. Well, thank you for having me. Yes, absolutely. As always, Acumen Laws, Kyla Lee joining me here on a Wednesday. Now, of course, she normally joins the program on Monday, but 
Monday was Labor Day. It was a holiday. We didn't have a show. And yesterday was a shortened show with Blue Jays Tuesdays and, of course, a large focus on the BC vaccine card rollout that we saw. Uh, that coming, of course, into effect officially as of Monday, September the 13th. That's a date for everyone to keep in mind. 